Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and we are broadcasting from the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. I trust that you are doing well, and sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are listening this evening. Pastor, we've had a couple of listeners send in questions. I want to start out by mentioning... Uh, The gentleman that you answered questions about last week, and we spent a while talking about L and the different verses, thank you very much for sending in your additional questions. Due to a little bit of mix-up, and my bad, I did not get the question to Pastor Murphy until just a minute ago. So we are going to answer your questions in depth when we do our next live program, which will be January 7th. We're going to take two Tuesdays off in order to air special Christmas programming here on the Lighthouse, but we will be live again on January 7th. So we will deal with your questions. Uh, I believe you're sending those in from Antigua. Thank you very much for your questions about the Book of Psalms, and those will be dealt with appropriately on the beginning of the program, January 7th. And then, Pastor, we have a question that has come in. Very good question. I'm curious to hear how you answer it. It says, Pastor Murphy, my family and I are looking for a church to call home. We found one that we've fallen in love with. They teach the Bible and they have great programs, but we just learned that they hold to Reformed theology when it comes to Bible prophecy. The pastor teaches that Satan is already bound and that Revelation should be read should not be read literally. My question to you is this. Would you ever consider joining a church that teaches Reformed theology if you yourself don't believe it? And will this be a decision that you would see us regretting in the future as we raise our children in this church? You know, that's a very good question. It's um, one, I want to avoid um, saying things that are offensive to those who are within the Reform uh, theology uh, belief. Uh, but I really think it's going to be very, very difficult uh, for you to embrace Reform theology, especially if you're saying to me that they do not believe the book of Revelation should be uh, interpreted literally. Uh, they, they believe that Satan is bound. If Satan is bound, as I said last time, he pretty got, he got a pretty long chain because he's, he's creating a lot of disruption today. He's, he's not bound as yet. Uh, Satan has been wounded and he's been defeated, but uh, he will have this final defeat when our Lord returns. 
Um, I find this going to be very difficult. I think you're going to end up with all kinds of debates and arguments. Um, the other thing is, Reformed theology doesn't have a place for Israel. If you don't have a place for Israel in, 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 the, in the future, I'm not too sure how you would interpret uh, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. And then... Um, how are you going to understand Matthew chapter 24? How are you going to comprehend the book of Revelations? How do you deal with the book of Daniel chapter 9, etc., etc.? I think you are surrendering a lot of your, um, a lot of scripture uh, to go to an allegorical method of interpretation. And I cannot see if you are a person who take the Bible uh, literally and hold to the historical grammatical way of interpreting the Bible. I think you're going to find some difficulty in the future. Um, you said they've got some good programs, and you said that um, you know you fall in love with the church. I suppose you fall in love with the people. I think that's what you meant. And I always like to hear people make those kind of comments. But it says it's a, a very warm, welcoming church, and uh, the programs certainly that are there would benefit your family. But I, I, I somehow um, think that you're going to have a problem, and that is a decision that you're going to have to make uh, yourself. But it would be very difficult for me to, uh, if I was in your position uh, and I had a family, it would be difficult for me to um, um, to be ministered under those circumstances. Uh, I, I mean, I, I find it difficult that you can go into the, uh, how would you understand Ezekiel? How would you understand a lot of the prophecies in Isaiah? Uh, and... Uh, again, you're you're actually practicing what is called replacement theology that the church has replaced Israel. I don't think you can read the, the gospels and and read the promises that were made and come to that conclusion. So I really think you're going to be in a lot of um, debates and a lot of contentious issues are going to raise. Um, if you can live with those, um, that would be up to you. For me, it would be very difficult for me to to embrace that kind of teaching and that kind of doctrine. I think it would um, lead me to um, have some heated contentious as well because you're, you're fighting not uh, about a human book. You're fighting with the Word of God. And if you believe that the Bible teaches something and you sincerely believe that, you have biblical proof for it. I think it really is a surrender for you to embrace something that is contrary to Scripture. I don't know what my counsel uh, I've just mentioned to you, how it would help you, but I think you should discuss it with your wife and your family and, and make a decision. Uh, but I I, um, I would be hesitant if I were in your position. Thank you very much to the individuals who have sent in questions already tonight. Again, this is a live interactive program throughout the night. As you have a question, maybe it's pertaining to the topic. Maybe it's something that someone recently asked you and you are very confused. And maybe it's even put doubt in your mind as to what the Bible says or how it addresses a topic. Pastor is here oh, to... Could I add something? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I would like to say to the person I just mentioned, you know, John MacArthur is a Reformed theologian. But John MacArthur um, believes in the premillennial view of uh, prophecy. Yeah. So even though he is a Reformed theologian, if you read his books, the book of Revelation and the book of Romans, it is very, very clear that he he holds to the position of being a premillennialist. So um, not all Reformed churches are, are millennials. Uh, there are churches that are within the Reformed movement, especially the John MacArthur group, that are just as solid in song and Bible prophecy as most evangelical church in respect to the, the future. Very good point. 
Uh, when you use the word reformed there, that would be referring to reformed in the sense of uh, soteriology? Yeah, basically reformed the- theologians are Calvinists. Okay. Uh, some of them are hyper-Calvinists, some of them are not hyper-Calvinists, but most of them hold to Calvinistic doctrine. And most Baptists, I would say, whether they know it or not, mm-hmm. are you're either Armenian or Calvinist, and most Baptists are, uh, are Calvinistic. Even though they don't hold to the extreme teaching about the matter of predestination, in the sense that uh, some people are born to go to hell, some people are born to go to hell and go to heaven, uh, we would we would base predestination on God's foreknowledge, and that foreknowledge would mean that God knew, knows from eternity, but not that He uh, in itself have or, or determined uh, that you will go to hell and there's nothing you could know about it. I find that if you hold to that position, I can't see how you can hold anybody morally responsible unless I can make a choice. I don't have moral responsibility, and that's my problem with that kind of a doctrine. So, uh, but generally speaking, Reformed theologians or uh, uh, churches are Calvinistic, and some are hyper, some are not hyper. If you have a question, please. Feel free to contact us to be put live on the air, and the phone is available. The phone line is open and available. The phone number is 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 1-268-782-1454. But, but Nathan, before you, I start to interrupt you again. Let me just make another comment here um, that may help to help people understand where I'm coming from. For example, um, take the matter of predestination for for just an example. Um, I have a problem believing that the Bible will tell me whosoever will may come, and it's mocking me. It knows I can't, and yet it tells me it makes an offer to me. So that is not a legitimate offer. If I don't have the opportunity and the to make a choice, why then do you uh, offer me the choice? So I have a hard time understanding the, the, is the invitation that God gave in the Bible credible invitations. Is he willing that none should perish, that all should come to the knowledge of the truth? Uh, if that is so, um, I have a hard problem um, believing that uh, persons are born and they just are not given an opportunity and a choice. It just seems to contradict Scripture to me, and it mocks men. How do I get into the pulpit and preach evangelism? And I would suggest that a lot of the people who believe in Reformed theology must uh, preach with some kind of reservation. When you come to the Word, like whosoever, what do you do with it? Do you jettison it, throw it away? Do you reinterpret it to mean something that it doesn't mean? So I, I think that, that that is part of the, the, the moral tension that is there. You've got a, a loving God who's compassionate, uh, who's impartial. And at the same time, you have this, this doctrine that for the time a man is born, he has no choice whatsoever. He either goes straight to hell or he goes straight to heaven. That is the, 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 the anomaly I have, and I, I, I try to grapple with it. And to the best of my understanding, of my to maintain the justice of God and the, and the love of God, um, I believe, uh, quite frankly, that man has a choice, and God gives man that choice, and God is sovereign. Because God in His sovereignty have decided to deal with man on the basis of choice. Without that, we have no basis of morality. 
Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.42. Now, last week at the end of the program, just the last couple of minutes, we begin to discuss the topic of the rapture. Pastor, would it be possible for us just to kind of do a quick rehash or just to remind us what is meant by the rapture and where it's mentioned in the Bible? Yeah, we, we talked about the fact that um, the word rapture itself is, is not in the Bible. But yet we pointed out to you that when you came to come to the book of uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, that that word that is used there, that we should be snatched away or catched away, is the, is the word uh, that is used uh, that means conveys the idea of the rapture. We talked about the fact that the, rap, the word rapture itself that is into our English con- uh, version uh, was actually from the Latin Vulgate that was included, and it means to snatch away, it means to take away. Uh, but the actual concept is there in the book of Revelation, uh, book of Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, so we pointed that out to you. What we mean by the rapture, however, is that it's a future event when Christ will return uh, unexpectedly. And in a moment of time, in the twinkle of an eye, uh, the believers who have died, their bodies will be resurrected. And the spirit that Christ brings with them uh, will be reunited to the body. And the body will be changed. And then the believer who is already alive when he returns will be transformed and their bodies will be made like unto Jesus Christ. So instantaneously, they will not face death. They will be immediately transformed and become like unto him. So the the, the truth of that teaching is called the blessed hope of the believer. Now, perhaps the best place to look at it is in the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Could you look there, Brother Nathan, chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? And uh, let's read from... Uh, verse 13 to verse number 18. And I'm going to interrupt you as you read it uh, okay. because um, I want to look at this chapter, this section, chapter 4, verse 13 to 18, on the uh, seven headings. Uh, so you just read it for me, please. All right. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Stop there for just a moment. Uh, Notice that the reason the Apostle Paul is writing about this doctrine is that the Apostle Paul uh, wants to dispel the ignorance that is there among these believers. Apparently Paul had uh, mentioned this in some of his teaching. Uh, Meanwhile, some believers had died and the believers are grieving, well, what will happen to those people who are already dead? We understand the rapture will come, it will take us. But what about the unbelief, the believer that has died and the rapture hasn't occurred? So Paul is now writing to clarify the whole matter, and he doesn't want the believer to be ignorant concerning the condition of the dead. And Paul is saying that the rapture is not only related to those who are alive, and that we'll be changed when Christ comes back. But he's pointing out that the dead in Christ, they will be resurrected, and their body and the spirits will be put back together, and they will be transformed like the believer. That's why he said, I don't want you to be ignorant. By the way, it's uh, someone has said that the fastest growing de- denomination is the Church of the Ignorant Brethren. <laughs> <laughs> the Apostle Paul, many times in his writings, he said, I do not want you to be ignorant. We should be informed. We should be intelligent believers. And that's why Paul is writing. And of course, uh, not only the, to let them know the condition of the dead, but also know that um, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. And he's coming. Notice what he says there in that verse. Uh, verse number uh, 14. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. Notice that there that sleep in Jesus would, would he bring with them. He's coming with those who are dead. So clearly what is happening here, the dead spirits, the Bible says, asking for the body present with the Lord. He's bringing back the spirits of those, uh, and they are going to, the body is going to be raised, the body and the, and the spirit will once again reunite. There will be a complete transformation, not only of the living believer, but of the dead believer. So Paul wants them to know not only the condition of the, uh, the dead, but he also wants that at the coming of the Lord, there is going to be this, this uh, resurrection and the reuniting of the spirit and the body of the, uh, the believer. Go ahead. Verse 15 says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So notice there, that not only the reason he gives, but notice he talks about this is a revelation. He said, do this by the what? The word of the Lord. So Paul is saying this is not something that uh, is a human invention, is not a mere Christian speculation, is not just a religious myth. It is a, a authentic Christian revelation that by the word of the Lord, uh, I have been informed about this doctrine and this teaching. So this is uh, the revelation that is coming from God and something that God has relayed to the, to the church. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. At 16? Yes. Yeah. He talks about the return of Christ and when our Lord returns, he said he'd be accompanied by three things. There will be a commanding shout, there'll be the cry of the archangel, and there'll be call, a the clarion call of, of the trump of God. Uh, it is interesting, by the way, that uh, if you look at the um, the life of Christ, you notice that he gives three cries or three commands in relation uh, to this whole matter. For example, um, when he gives that cry, commanding cry, in John chapter 11 with Lazarus, he said, Lazarus what? Come forth. And Lazarus came forth. In in Matthew chapter 27, uh, the cry from the cross when he said it was finished, the Bible says that people rose out of the dead. I don't know if you're aware of that or not in the book of Matthew. And then in uh, here now, in Second Thessalonians, when he shouts, the dead is, cry- is going to raise. So notice that every time he cries and he commands uh, in relation to uh, the dead, there is a resurrection, whether it be at Lazarus's grave, whether it be at the, the cross in Matthew chapter 27 when he said it was finished, or here in the book of Revelation. So he is, uh, the return of Christ is clear there that he's returning, and when he returns, uh, the believers will be raised. Uh, verse 16 says what? Verse 16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So notice that the not only will be this be the uh, return of Christ, but notice that he talks about the resurrection of those that are, are dead. And the bodies of those that sleep in the grave, is the, the, the spirit doesn't sleep. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. Uh, we see also in the Mount of Transfiguration, for example, when Moses and Elijah came back, uh, that's the spirit of Elijah and Emoja, uh, Elijah there talking in the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, so what happens when he returns, he brings the spirit back with him, which is with him, and then the body has to be resurrected, and that's the reunion there. So there's going to be a resurrection of the body, not the individual. There's no such thing as soul sleep, and that needs to be, need to be clarified. What happens, Pastor, in the case that a body has just decomposed someone who passed away? Uh, 
2,000 years ago, and the body is just dust. Well, let me ask you a question. Was God, ask yourself how God spoke into existence all the (laughs) animals. I'm serious for just a moment. Think the stars for just a moment, for those people who don't know that. Our galaxy is made up of a billion stars, and yet there are billion galaxies. Now, nobody can comprehend that. And the Bible says he knows every star by name. Now, that's a st- that kind of knowledge, that kind of omniscience is, is staggering. But clearly, that is nothing in comparison to uh, the limited amount of human beings that live on planet Earth. I mean, there are billions and billions and billions of stars, yet he knows everyone by name. And, of course, the Bible says that even your very hair on your head is, is counted. So this is not an impossible thing. The problem with us is that we make God too small. Uh, if we could just get a grasp of who he is and to comprehend that he made everything by speaking things in his, by his word, we would not have any problem understanding that he's able to bring back every single atom and molecule and compound and element and reunite this into, into every tissue and every sinew and every skin and flesh and bone and bring us back together. He has the DNA code for everybody. He could do it, and he will do it again. If a person has lost a limb in this life, do you, again, if I'm asking you to speculate too much, just tell me to move on, <laughs> but do you believe that uh, the resurrected body would have a missing limb? Or no, I think the resu- resu- resurrection body would be the body that you were born with. I think the, the whole body would be there, and I think that body is going to be transformed into something that is like our Lord Jesus' body, and I think it's going to be something quite unlike. It's suiting us for heaven. Our body is designed for earth. It has to be prepared for heaven, and that's where the transformation takes place. But I don't think there's going to be any imperfections in that body that we have. That's what we're looking forward to, the day when there's no sin and no iniquity, and we have a perfect existence. That's what we're looking forward to. Verse 17 of First Thessalonians chapter 4 says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now this has to do with the rapture of the living believer. And whether people understand it or not, the Apostle Paul said, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51, he said these words, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And of course, the word sleep there is used in reference in the Bible to death. We will not always die, all die, but we will all be changed. And that's his point there. There are believers that are going to be alive, that when our Lord returns, that will not see death, that they will be raptured and taken directly and transformed uh, like unto Jesus Christ. Uh, by the way, we have some examples of that in the Scriptures, do we not? Enoch. Enoch, for example, Enoch never tasted death, and Enoch was completely translated, as we read in the book of Hebrews. But also Elijah was taken directly. He never saw death. And by the way, every type in the Bible has an anti-type. So that's, how, that's one of the reasons I believe in the rapture, that you have the type in the Old Testament, and the type always has an antitype, which is the real thing. See, So I believe that there will be a trend. If you didn't have any other reason for believing in the rapture, uh, those two examples of Elijah and Enoch being taken directly without seeing death, these are just um, types of what's going to take place when our Lord uh, return. So the rapture is there, the revelation, the resurrection of the dead, and now you've got the rapture of the church. And then verse 17. Uh, the Verse 17 says, then we, then we which 
are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So there it is that you're going to have this grand reunion. And of course, everybody is talking about family members who have died, and uh, will we see them again. And this is the grand reunion where we who are alive, transformed, and then those are the dead that died in the Lord, they're now resurrected. And you've got this grand reunion where we meet with them, we we'll go to be with the Lord. And the other thing he says in, in verse 18 is what? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the reassurance we should have, that the rapture was designed not to create fear and trepidation in the believer's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was designed to give the believer the hope that one day he will not see death and that one day his beloved, his loved ones would be resurrected. So that's what was designed for, to give comfort and to give hope. And by the way, the, 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 the greatest need of humankind is is to be given hope. And that's where the Bible comes in and offers us hope, even in respect to the, the grave and the grim reaper when he comes to take our loved ones or even ourselves. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.54. I am really excited that you have made the time to tune into the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on this Tuesday evening. This is a live interactive call-in program. And if you have a question, Pastor Murphy is here to answer it from a biblical worldview. If you'd like to call and be put live on the air, the phone number, the phone line is available, and the number is 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 1-268-782-1454. Now, we are discussing Bible prophecy this evening, and we have been for, I believe this is the seventh week now, as pastor's been going through and taking some of these large concepts and breaking them down into very understandable uh, sections and backing it all up with Scripture. You're talking about the rapture, Pastor. Are there other passages besides First First Thessalonians chapter four that talk about the rapture? Yeah, there are two other main passages I think that um, relate to this same subject. Uh, if you look at John chapter fourteen, verse one to three. And then um, you look at that for me, and I look at uh, Corinthians chapter 15. I think these are two other prominent uh, chapters, sections that deal with the same subject. John 14, 14, verses 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I don't think it could be plainer there that he's um, going to come back for them, for those who are his, that where he is, there may be. So he's coming to take his church with him. Uh, it's just that the Apostle Paul, of course, wrote after John, and he elaborated on these matters uh, so that we got greater detail. Paul was given um, great insight into this subject, and he was given the more detailed form. But here's a promise that, um, you know, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare place for you, and when if I go and prepare, I will come back and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It is, uh, by the way, this is one of the, the verses that, 
I think completely demolishes the outer darkness doctrine where the believer is supposed to be in outer darkness for a thousand years um, away from Christ. But the Bible says that when I come back for you, I come back to where I am, there you may be also. So this is one of the, the clear passages of Scripture that indicates that once Christ comes to the believer, there's no separation between the believer and Christ for no, no thousand years. Uh, he makes it very clear here. And then Corinthians chapter 15, uh, you would like to read that? Uh, verse 50 to 57, 1 yeah. Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I got the chapter. 50 to 57. Okay. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. Ye shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible thing must put on incorruption, incorruption, and the mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Yeah. We see the Apostle Paul is um, elaborating further on it. He explains that the human condition as we are, corruptible human nature, um, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What is needed is that there has to be some kind of change. And then he says, we shall not all sleep, we shall not all die, but then we shall be changed. And then he tells us exactly how it's going to happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, uh, so sudden that we don't even have time to wink, to be very honest with you. And then the church is raptured, and uh, Paul goes on to explain that this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality, and that death will be swallowed up, and that is completely consumed and destroyed, and uh, life will have victory. And then he mocks death, saying, death, oh, death, where's your sting or grave? Where's your victory? Uh, so this is a passage clearly that's talking about in a moment, in a twinkle of night, the believer will be taken and that we'll be transformed uh, where our corrupt nature is re uh, receiving corruption. So there's another passage that deals with it uh, in, in Paul elaborates, but it's dealing with the same uh, idea that we will not all sleep, we'll all be changed, we'll all be transformed. And that's what will take place at the rapture. Now, verse 51 there says, Behold, I show you a mystery. So if he's talking about the rapture and he says it's a mystery, then how can we really understand it if it's a mystery? What is he talking about? Well, it depends on how you understand the word mystery. Uh, some people think that a mystery is something obtuse or cryptic or arcane. Uh, some people think it's difficult or puzzling to understand, but the mystery in a biblical sense doesn't mean that it's something that's incomprehensible. It simply means that it's a new truth that God reveals that man would not have known had God not, not revealed it. So it's not that you can't comprehend it, you can't understand it, or it's something esoteric. It is something that uh, is there that you can understand and I can understand, but until God reveals it, we don't know it's there. So mystery is not uh, to be perceived as something occultic or dark that you can't comprehend. 
And the rapture, for example, is a mystery in the sense that this was never revealed before, never discussed in the Old Testament. As I mentioned, we do have a type of it. We will never know it was a type until we come to the New Testament. But we never give any details about the rapture. Uh, so that's what a mystery is. It's, it's, it's something that uh, is not something that is incomprehensible. It's just a, a New Testament truth that God had not revealed previously, but now reveals to us that we can understand. And that's why he calls it a, a mystery. The cross was a mystery as well, uh, as you would read later. But again, it's not that we can't understand what the cross means. Everybody can understand. Simplest child can understand Christ dying for your sins in the world. But that was something that was not revealed in its fullness until it was came in the New Testament light of truth. Uh, when it comes to the rapture, uh, we need to be aware that uh, when you go to in the Old Testament, for example, you find that the truth of the resurrection is taught in the Old Testament, but not the truth of the rapture, because the the concept of the church is hidden in the in the, in the Old Testament. It's a gap between the first coming and the second coming, and that's why you could find references, for example, to the resurrection. If you would look at Job uh, nineteen twenty five for just a moment, uh, Job nineteen twenty five yeah. says. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Yeah. See, Job knows that. He knows that. And then Job would go on later in that chapter and said that, In my flesh, though the worms eat my flesh, yet in my flesh shall I see God. So he's aware there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. Uh, Isaiah 69, 26, 19 as well. If you would just take a moment to peep at that. Isaiah 26, 19. All right, Isaiah 26, 19. verse 19 says, Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body, shall they rise, arise, awakening, awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust. For thy dew is as the dew of the herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Yeah, notice there that the reference there is that the dead is going to be raised. So when it comes to the resurrection in the Old Testament, I mean, there's, there's, I mean it's, it's taught in the Old Testament, but you don't find any reference to people who will be alive, who will be immediately transformed and brought into the presence of God. So, um, but the resurrection was not a mystery. It's the rapture that's the mystery. That's why Paul says, I want to teach you this mystery. The other passages of Scripture that teach the resurrection, Daniel 12, 2, we don't, don't need to look there. Uh, but Daniel 12, 2, if you, well, you want to look that? Daniel 12, 2. I'll be there in just a minute. Ezekiel, Daniel uh, 12, 2. All right. It says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So here you've got the concept of the resurrection there. And it's talking about the both the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, those that have done, done evil. So he's talking about a, a general resurrection where the righteous would be raised and the unrighteous would be raised. But notice that that truth concerning the resurrection of the dead is not a new truth. Uh, it was there in the Old Testament. But the rapture is something completely new that's only mentioned in regards to the church. So what it's basically saying to us here is that uh, there are many believers uh, who, when Christ returns, uh, that will be alive, that will not see death. And that's the great mystery, that some alive will not see death. And to think of that, that that can happen in our lifetime. Uh, That can happen tonight, that can happen tomorrow. Um, We're not told in the Scriptures a specific time nor hour. We're told to watch. But it's very, very clear in the New Testament that the rapture is imminent uh, for the believer.
Now, you just mentioned that the resurrection was taught in the Old Testament, but not the rapture. Pastor, is that because Israel surprised God and failed him, and he therefore created the church in order to fill this time period? Nothing surprises God. God knows the beginning from the end, uh, but, um, but God also has a plan. Uh, and God's plan, uh, you know, when God called Israel, uh, it was for Israel to be a centripetal force, uh, a, a, a centri- um, yeah, centripetal force to draw the nations uh, to God as a result of the kind of laws and precepts that they had that they be holy people. Israel failed. Uh, and what happened because of their unbelief, you read the book of Romans, God has set them aside and grafted the Gentiles, which is the church, in this program. Uh, the church is now to be a um, centrifugal force. We go out. Uh, so that, that's going to go to reach the world for the gospel. So Israel has always been the instrument of, of salvation, and the church today is the instrument of evangelism. Uh, and the day will come when the church will fulfill its purpose and God will rapture the church. And the book of Romans tells us God will then regraph Israel into his program. But nothing that happens catches God by surprise. He anticipates, he knows what's going to happen. He has a plan that is being worked out in a program. And that program is a sovereign program. But that sovereign program involves the exercise of human will. That's the point I'm making. God is says sovereign. If I decide to deal with you on the basis of honesty, uh, I am still sovereign because I decided to deal with you on the basis of, of, uh, of, of honesty. And that's where people think that being sovereign means that uh, God can violate his own moral laws and do anything he wants to and nobody can say anything. I don't know of any uh, parent that would act that way or any judge that would be considered righteous if he does that which is evil. So we can't attribute evil to God. And that's where we've got to be very, very careful to exercise this word sovereignty to understand that God is sovereign and he decided to deal with man on the basis of choice. Uh, without that, you make God the, 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 uh, the, the, the uh, originator of sin as well. Did, did God uh, make Adam so that and made Adam sin? That, that can never be. You can't charge God with evil. Uh, the Bible makes that very, very clear. He gave Adam a choice. And even though he knew Adam would fall, uh, it still was Adam to make that particular choice. That's part of the great mystery, why he didn't make him a robot. But I don't have anybody who wants to be a robot, to be honest with you. And that's where we have this tussle of how can it be a sovereign God and human will? Because he sovereignly have decided to deal with us on the basis of choice. Pastor, we have a question that's coming from a listener in Antigua. Pastor Murphy, the Christmas tree and some Christmas traditions have their roots in either paganism or the Catholic Church adopting pagan teachings or pagan ideas. Is it okay for me as a born-again believer to incorporate a Christmas tree and other Christmas traditions into my Christmas season? I would say to you it's a matter of conscience. If your conscience bothers you, God is greater than your conscience. So if you think that that is something that you um, uh, cannot do with any liberty and freedom and your, your conscience is smitten, you have no peace about it, you shouldn't do it. Um, I am aware of the uh, background on the Christmas tree and so on and so forth. But to be very honest with you, I don't associate the Christmas tree with paganism. I think it's been stripped of that. Uh, I don't have a problem with it myself, but if somebody is offended by it, I think that you should not not practice it. But uh, don't try to make everybody think the way you think in this regard, so you make people's Christmas miserable. Uh, 
if you if it's bothering you and you want to let your family not have a Christmas tree, don't have a Christmas tree. But if another Christian conscience is not bothered, remember that uh, we must not judge another person's conscience, and we must allow God to guide us in those areas where there is still some uncertainty as to as to uh, what the position should should be. So this is one of the great areas of the Christian life, and uh, we're not God to to set up standards that people don't feel comfortable about and if they interpret the Bible and they have the liberty and the freedom uh, that way I don't think we should create unnecessary problems so don't go to your church by the way and uh, tear down the pastor and tear down the deacons and tear down the church because they got a Christmas tree whatever it is uh, that's not your place let God judge them if you think God is going to judge them but you just you just live by your conscience you're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse broadcasting on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at org, and for this program, online at Facebook, in the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and Facebook live video feed. Broadcasting from the island of Antigua, the time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.10. Pastor... I understand the rapture, but I also understand that there's a, a number of different views on how, when the rapture should take place, or is believed to take place. Can you give us an overview of those views? Well, I, you know, all evangelicals, to my knowledge, uh, believe that the Lord is going to return uh, for His people. Uh, the problem is that uh, they disagree as to when this is going to take place. And a lot has to do with the time, and the specific time, and especially in, re- in relation to the tribulation period. Uh, there are basically five different views on when the rapture will occur, and all of them are linked to the, the, the tribulation period. Now, if you don't believe in the tribulation period, there's no rapture for you. Uh, and that's the problem to answer the person who asked the first question. Um, you know, are you willing to surrender the fact that there's there's no rapture? Are you willing to surrender the fact there's no tribulation? Are you willing to surrender the fact that there's no Israel? Uh, are you willing to toss out uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11? Are you willing to surrender the book of Revelations? That, that's the whole issue. But the five different views on the rapture, uh, let me just state them very briefly. First of all, it's what you call the pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, this position holds that the church will be raptured before the tribulation period takes place. So the church will not go through the tribulation period. That happens to be my position, and I hopefully we'll, we'll talk about why I believe that's the position. The second view is what they call the mid-tribulation rapture. And they believe that midway of the seven years that are coming, uh, called the time of Jacob's trouble, uh, called uh, Daniel the 70th week, calling the book of Revelations the uh, 2640 and the times and times and a half, uh, um, they believe that this is when the rapture will take place. Midway during the tribulation period, the rapture will take place. So believers will go to halfway during the tribulation period. And then when the wrath really begins to come out in severity, the believer will be raptured before the full wrath of God comes in. So that is the mid-tribulation period. Halfway, the church will be raptured. The third one is the post-tribulation rapture. And this is the group that believe that the church will go through the tribulation period. And then Christ will come and uh, take the tri- believers with him. And then he will return and rule with him on planet Earth. So we will go through the entire tribulation period and suffer 
um, with the world and suffer with Israel as a nation which is going to be purged and going to be uh, refined. Now the problem that I have with that one, by the way, and the others is how is that hope? How in the world mm-hmm. can that be hope? How can I comfort you by telling you that you're going through the, the worst seven years the world has ever seen? This is, what you, yeah. <laughs> this is what you look forward to. And then the, the other one, the other um, fourth view is the partial rapture. And the partial rapture believe that only the faithful believers will be raptured. Those who are not faithful will stay here for seven years and endure uh, the tribulation, and they'll be purged of their sins, etc., etc. So um, that uh, is the fourth view. And then the fifth view is what is called the pre-wrath rapture. And this, by the way, is beginning to get some traction in certain circles, but what this view believes basically is that three quarters away during the tribulation period, uh, the final phase, the final uh, one and a half years, is when that, before that one and a half final years begin, the church will be raptured. So we go through the tribulation five and a half years, and then uh, for the one and a half years when the final wrath of God is poured out, the believer uh, escapes that final last uh, one and a half years phase. Those are the, the, the views that uh, are held uh, by others and um, by many. And so while we're talking this subject, it, it, it's, um, it's, we're just going to understand the divergent views on it. And the question is, which one will best represent what the Bible teaches on this subject? I don't know if you want to take time to go through each one and explain it in more detail, or you just want to discussing you mentioned the pre-trib is the one that you feel is most biblically accurate um do you want to well let's if you want to deal with that we can deal with that okay actually before you do that let me just ask you this the rapture and the second coming i know some people would use that interchangeably or may get confused by that can you clarify is there a difference are those synonymous yeah there is some confusion today where people fail to differentiate between the rapture and the second coming. They assume that the second coming refers to the rapture. Um, this same confusion, by the way, was characteristic of the Jews when the Messiah came. They didn't understand the Messiah would come two times. They thought the Messiah was coming to rule planet Earth because they read uh, passages like in Isaiah um, uh, that spoke so much about the Messiah coming to rule. Uh, Ezekiel talks about the Messiah coming to rule as well. They never saw Isaiah chapter 53 that he would come as a lamb before. So they didn't understand there'd be two phases. They just saw one phase. As a result, um, they turned away from the truth when the Messiah was born and didn't understand he would deal with the sin question. And then, of course, he's coming back as a lion of the tribe of Judah to rule planet Earth and establish the millennial kingdom. Um, so the that same problem of distinguishing two comings uh, created a problem. And this is the same kind of situation we find ourselves in today, that uh, the day of the Lord, which is the second coming of Christ, is not a New New Testament truth. The Old Testament talks about the day of the Lord uh, again and again and again. That's when he comes back and he pours out his wrath. What the Old Testament never talked about was the rapture of the church, or rapture of the believer. So this is the problem. This truth now is a new truth that is, relates to the church only, and that's where the confusion comes in. Because when you go into the, the, uh, the Old Testament, 
and you'll find numerous references to the fact that the day of the Lord is coming, there'll be fire, there'll be brimstone, the sun will be turned into uh, blood, and all of that is in the Old Testament. That's when he comes back with his wrath. He'll judge the nations. But what was not taught was the fact that there was to be a church, and that part of God's program for the church would be to rapture the church and then pull Israel back in this program. So we need to understand that there's a difference between the rapture and the, and the, and the revelation. Let me draw some... Um, Contrast between the two of them for just a moment. The rapture in First Thessalonians four sixteen and seventy, Christ comes in the earth, uh, in the air. Okay, He comes in the air for the believers. The return of Christ, or what is called the second coming, or the day of wrath, or what is called the day of the Lord, Christ comes to the earth. He doesn't come in the air; He comes to the earth. For example, look at Zechariah chapter four, verse fourteen, verse four, for just a moment. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. It's talking when the Lord comes back on his feet, um, go to Jerusalem, basically. Mount Zion is going to burst into two. I mean, that's never happened, right? But notice he's coming to the earth. He's not coming now for saints. He's coming back to earth and he's going to judge. If you look at Joel chapter uh, 3, um, verse 12 to 14. Joel chapter 3, verses 12 to 14 says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him not of e- and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people. Sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. How far? Verse yeah, 7. Yeah, go ahead. Let the priest and ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord. Give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen shall rule over them. Wherefore should I, should they say among the people, Where is their God? Okay, go on, go on, go on, go on and read it. Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more You're make... You're reading what? Uh, Joel chapter 3. Okay, go ahead. What verse you? 19. Uh, I will make... I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. Did you uh, did you read from verse uh, read from verse number twelve? Uh, 
I am sorry, I am in Joel chapter 2. Yeah, I know you're we, making a mistake yeah, there. <laughs> we, we, we got a little bit extra reading. <laughs> yeah, go from verse 13. That was, I, I should have. I apologize. That. For yeah, that. verse 12. Okay, chapter 3, verse 12. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Thank you for that. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord shall also roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall we know that I, so shall ye know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, yeah. my holy mountain. Now, you, you notice there that when he comes back, um, he's talking about gathering the nations. Uh, there he's talking about the dealing with wickedness. He's talking about the moon turning to darkness, the stars withdrawing to light. When you read the book of Revelation, you'll find that this event, the same language is used here about the, the sun and the stars uh, and the moon. That same language is used in the book of Revelation, which refers to tribulation period. So this is something that is, is not new. But notice he's coming. This has to do with the earth. This has to do with coming for the believers. So the, one of the distinctions between the two is that at the rapture, he comes in the air for his saints. When he returns in the second coming, he comes to earth to deal with the nations and to deal with the nation of Israel. Two different things. One in the air, one to earth. Um, in... Um, in the in Thessalonians, he comes uh, for his saints, and then in the book of Revelations, uh, if you look at First Thessalonians chapter three verse thirteen, which has to do with returning now the, the second coming. First Thessalonians three thirteen. To the end, he may establish your hearts. Unblameable in holiness before the God, even our Father, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He's coming with his saints. Now, that's the, that's the second coming. That's not the first coming. The first coming, he's coming for his saints. But now he's coming back with his saints. So after the tribulation period is over, he comes back with his saints. That's called the second coming. Also, Jude is an interesting verse, by the way. Um, Jude, verse 14. There's only one chapter, one verse, one chapter in uh, Jude. Small book takes a little bit of time to find. Jude. And then Revelation. Jude chapter, I mean, <laughs> chapter 1, but what yeah. verse? What verse in Jude? Uh, 14. 14 says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these days, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Again, again, notice, notice that the Lord is coming with his saints. In uh, the rapture, he's coming for his saints. A distinction is made there very, very clearly. Uh, there are no signs in respect to the rapture. The rapture is imminent. That means it could occur any time. But uh, in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 24, you are given a lot of signs that portend the coming of the Lord. So there's a distinction here between the rapture and the, and the revelation again. So the rapture, he comes in the air. In the, in the second coming, he comes to the earth. Uh, with the rapture, he comes for his saints. With the second coming, he comes with his saints. With the rapture, he comes to claim his bride. 
with the revelation he comes with his bride uh, the rapture is not mentioned in the Old Testament but it is mentioned the however the second coming is mentioned in the Old Testament it's called the day of the Lord there's no signs in regard to the rapture but there are signs that relate to the second coming uh, the rapture is a time of blessing according to Thessalonians chapter 4 the revelation uh, or the second coming is a time of judgment and destruction look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8 to 12 for just a moment Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8 to 12 that they might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Okay, Second Thessalonians chapter 8, that's, uh, chapter 2, verse 8 to 12. Are you reading First Thessalonians? Uh, I jumped. I started at verse 12. Okay. <laughs> Sorry eight. about that. Verse 8. Okay, starting at verse 8. And then shalt the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness, of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved and for this cause God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie that they might all be damned who believe not the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness yes you notice very carefully in this chapter that is talking about the fact that the Lord is going to consume with the spirit of his mouth when he comes back. So this, this is this is judgment. This is not coming back to give the believer hope. So the contrast between the two, one has to do with blessing, which is the rapture. When it comes to the second coming, or what is called the revelation, it has to do with judgment on uh, on the nations, etc., etc. Uh, the other thing I would say about the rapture, the rapture involves believers only. As we said, uh, I receive you unto myself, and, and, and Corinthians chapter 15 the revelation of the second coming relates to the Gentile nations and the Jewish and uh, and the Jewish nation. The church will not be there. The church will be raptured. So those are some of the, the contrasts um, that you can draw between the two. Clearly, they're not the same uh, when you look at what these uh, distinctions are made in the scriptures in regard to themselves. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from Antigua. The name of the program is That's Truth. It's a live call-in program. We're here to answer your questions from a biblical worldview. The phone number to be put live on the air is 1-268-462-7420. Or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1420. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, you can comment your question or your thoughts under the video feed, and they'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Uh, We have 30 minutes left in the program, so still plenty of time for you to get your questions in, but go ahead and send them in ASAP. Pastor, which of the five views of the rapture do you believe is best, and can you back it up with Scripture? 
Uh, my position and most of the evangelical world uh, hold to the position of what is called the tri- pre-tribulation uh, rapture, that the church will not uh, go through the tribulation period. Um, there are several reasons why we believe this, and I just want to share uh, some with you. Uh, the first one I would use to, to um, explain our position on this matter is the place that the church is given in the book of Revelation itself. Um, you do not find in the book of Revelation the mention of the church after chapter f- 4. From chapter 4, verse nine, uh, chapter four to going to chapter number 19, where it deals with the tribulation period, the church is not mentioned in that section. The church is mentioned uh, at the beginning when the message is given to the seven churches. And uh, you will find that 19 times in Revelations 1 to 3, the word church is mentioned. But after chapter four, uh, chapter 3, going from chapter 4 to 19, the church is completely absent. The only other time you get the mention of the church is chapter 22, when the coming to the close and, he's, and uh, the Spirit say come and the church say come, etc., etc. It's the church appealing uh, to the world in light of the fact that tribulation is coming, that they should come to God for salvation. But you don't find in chapters 4 to 19 any reference at all uh, to the, the matter of, of the church. So I think that is significant. The tribulation period is chapter 4 to chapter 19. You don't find any reference in there to the church. You only find it at the beginning when you speak to the seven churches, warning what is going to come, and then at the end where the invitation is given uh, to, to, to come to the Lord. That is one uh, reason. The other reason I believe that the uh, that why this the pre-tribulation rapture is the passage in Second Thessalonians chapter two for just a moment. Would you turn there? Yep, chapter there. two. What verse? Uh, verse six uh, to nine. And now we know that withholdeth. And now we know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let you until he taketh, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Uh, what verse do you want me to go through? Uh, go to verse number nine. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. If, you, if, if you've been following the passage that we've been talking about here, um, the point is being made that something is restraining and that that thing that's restraining is going to be removed. I think that's very, very, very significant. So if you look in, in this passage, you find that uh, verse number 6 tells you that we know that he that withholdeth uh, that he might be revealed in this time. And by the way, here's the problem with the, the uh, King James Version, if I might draw your attention there. That word withholdeth really, he that restraineth. Uh, that's the, the, the Greek language, restraineth. And then the other part of it, uh, it says, um, verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who know letteth. Again, the same word letteth is the word restrain. Uh, and uh, th- there's so much confusion when you read those two verses, you would never think that it's talking about restraining there. So when it says here in verse number 7, 
for the mischief of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now restraineth will restrain until he is taken out of the way. That is the translation of it. But the King James Version got the word let. Now the word let in 1611 meant restrain. It doesn't mean that any longer. So when yeah. people read this verse, they're con- con- completely confused. And that's why there's always a need for a revision. There's always a need to update the language of the Bible. Because you, I do not know of anybody reading this passage would think that the same word in verse 6 is the same word in verse 7. As a matter of fact, they seem to be very opposite. One is saying restrain, and this one is saying let. Let means to allow. But that's not what the, the, the Greek word, word is. The word is restrain. And the whole idea there is that there is something restraining and something controlling until the evil one is going to come and it restrains that evil one. Um, the question is, what is it that is restraining? If you read the commentaries uh, that are given on this particular passage, you find that some people say it's the Roman Empire, some people say it's the preaching of the gospel that restrains, some people say it's human government, other claim that it's Israel, and some claim that it's the church, other claim that it's the Holy Spirit. Um, what it's interesting that when you look at verse number six, um, in that verse number six, it says, uh, Now ye know what restraineth. It's neuter. Uh, now you know something restrained, but it's neuter. It's a thing that restrains. Interesting. But when you go to verse number seven now, it says, uh, For the mischief of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now restrains, restrain. Notice it's gone now from neuter to what? Masculine. Okay. And that's where we got to find out what is this thing that uh, restrains and who is this one that restrains. And this is where I must ask ourselves the question, who has the power to restrain this evil Antichrist that's going to come? Who has the power to restrain? The only answer is God. The next question is, how does God restrain evil on earth? God restrains evil to his church. And here's the question, but why does God restrain evil to the church? Because the Holy Spirit indwells the church. So there you've got the it, the church, and the he, who is the Holy Spirit, working in the church to restrain. But when the church is taken out, which is what the rapture will be, then uh, it makes it very clear that he will now be able to reveal, reveal himself. So what keeps the evil force, this final phase of the Antichrist, is the restraining power of the church, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But when it and when he is taken out, because when the church is taken out, the Holy Spirit that indwells the believer is removed, and that restraining influence is no longer there, and then the man of sin is going to be revealed. Hmm. And that's why I believe in the rapture. The Antichrist cannot manifest himself until the restraining power is removed. That is the restraining power of the church God working through the church and the Holy Spirit. When the church goes, the Holy Spirit goes, and that that restraining power is gone. So that's one of the other reasons why I believe, uh, because this restraining force must be removed before um, the the Antichrist can reveal himself. Pastor, we have a listener who has called in and said... uh, tell you thank you for the program that she's learning a lot from your teaching this evening just thought i'd pass that along to you and uh, you're discussing tonight we're discussing bible prophecy and the views of the rapture Uh, nathan me just mentioned uh if you look at genesis chapter 6 verse 3 this is another reason why i believe that the um this restraining power 
is the Holy Spirit within the church that holds down the evil in the world. The moment the church goes into rapture, there's no more restraining power because the Holy Spirit absents himself. You notice in, in Genesis chapter 6 that it's very, very clear that the Holy Spirit, verse 3, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. So the Lord is talking, I'm going I'm to still strive with man, and I'm going to give him 120 years to repent, because that's the time it takes to build the ark. But uh, he's not going to do it all the time. But notice who is the restraining power there. The Spirit of God is restraining power. That same Spirit indwells the church, the believers in the church. And that's why the church is called salt and what? Light. What does salt do? Salt Perfect. restrains evil as well. It restrains corruption. And what does light do? Light push back to darkness. That's the role of the church. But when the church now disappears and the Holy Spirit goes with the church, there's no longer that restraining power. And, and Nathan, can I say this? I think this is a problem today with the, uh, the situation we find ourselves in in the world, that the church has lost its moral authority, has lost its power, is no longer seen as salt, is no longer seen as light. As a result, its influence is no longer a hindrance to the corruption in the world because the church has compromised its position, has surrendered its position, and is now want to be... Uh, in, fla- in favor with the world and want the approval of the world and therefore it does not speak out on those things that God says is wrong and evil the church tolerates them, the church compromises and therefore its power has been neutralized because the spirit is grieved and he withdrawn his power and the church finds itself with a load of problems and can't seem to solve them a load of issues that need addressing because the church in a, ver- in a way has compromised itself as a result but he's a restraining power. You remember also John chapter 16? that when the Holy Spirit comes in John 16, verse 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Correct, because that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, convicting. Now, what, what restrains a man from doing evil? is the conviction. I, I can do evil until I reach the point where finally I get convicted that what I'm doing is wrong. And that's the agent of the Holy Spirit. But remember, the Holy Spirit indwells the church. And that's why the church is such a powerful entity. And what God has designed the church to be is to be salt and light on planet Earth to help hold down the corruption. But everywhere you turn, the church is surrendering. And the funny thing, I've said this before, the Government is looking to the church for answers, and the sad thing the church is looking to the government for answers. And we just don't understand what our role is today. But if we're going to uh, change the the project trajectory of the evil in the world, it has to be the power and the influence of the church and the Holy Spirit working through. So we not be, have to have a revival in the church to bring about this restraining power once again that the church once had. How do we start that revival? It has to start with the church. It can't start with the world. The world will always be what it is. Corrupt, evil is headed to destruction, and uh, the Bible says man's heart is evil continually. But the the thing is that the, the church itself has to be the catalyst of change, and that only takes place when the individuals within the church get their heart right with God, come into a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, and get to know Him, and to trust Him, and to live for Him, and start living according to the dictates of Scripture and following the biblical principles. When believers begin to do that, and try to be different, not to be like the world, and that's the dilemma. We think that by being like the world, we attract the world. That never happens. The, the, the way that we attract people to Jesus Christ is by being different. Mm. 
uh, we dress different, we act different, we talk different, we behave different, we go to different places. When we have something that the world wants, because if we have nothing and they have, we have the same thing they've got, we have nothing new to offer, there is no incentive to want to bring about change. So the church is the main catalyst of change, but that has to begin with a revival within the, the church ministry. The other thing that um, is clear about the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 is that he restrains even sin in the believer's life. So whether in Genesis 6, 3, or uh, John chapter 16, verse 8, or if you look at uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. 16 and 17? Yeah. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And there, these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. See the struggle? But notice it's the Holy Spirit. If the believer walks in the Spirit. And by the way, to walk in the Spirit is not some mystical thing. If you, because if you read the book of uh, Colossians, you'll find that when Paul talks walk in the Spirit, he talks about walking in the Word. Uh, walking in the Spirit really is walking in harmony with the Word of God, which God has given to us as believers. So there's a very, there's nothing mystical that there's going to be some kind of a, a little spirit you put in your pocket. You've got to find out what's the will of God and what the Spirit of God teaches from His Word. So as you walk in the Word, you walk in the Spirit. And uh, that is where we need to get a good solid background in Scripture. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We have 15 minutes left in the program. If you have a question, go ahead and call in 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, we can do that also. And the phone number to send your WhatsApp or text to is 1-268-782-1454. Let me give you a third reason. We talked about the fact that the, the, the church in Revelation is only found in chapter 1 to 3, 19 times. It's never found after chapter 4, and only when it comes to the closing chapter where the church calls upon humankind to come to God and, and, and repent and, 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 and uh, believe the gospel. Uh, and I just mentioned there the, the matter of the restrainer uh, has to be removed so before the Antichrist can reveal himself. I believe that restrainer because it's got it in a neuter, and they've got it in the in the masculine. I believe that explains the church part of it, the corporate entity, and the Holy Spirit that indwells, uh, the Holy Spirit indwells the church. That's the restraining power. When the church goes, the restraining power is taken. The Holy Spirit is taken, and therefore the man of sin can reveal himself. But right now we're restraining, and the church is doing a restraining job. The third thing I think that is important to understand why we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture is the fact that God's people are told and promised again and again that they will be exempted from divine wrath. Um, look at Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 to 10. And remember the tribulation period is a time when God has finally had enough. His patience has run out. Uh, his long-suffering has been exhausted. And now he's dealing with planet Earth. The Bible says there has never been, nor will there ever be a time like this on planet Earth. So God has now venting his full wrath. His cup of iniquity is full. And now he's going to pour his wrath on mankind. The church has been promised that he, they will not uh, uh, go through this wrath to be exempted. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 to 10. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, 
and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. See, so he delivered us from the wrath to come. There's coming wrath. There's no question about the whole book of the, uh, all of the prophetic writings in the Old Testament, talking about the day of the Lord, which is the day of wrath and judgment. That day, we have been told that we, we, we're told here clearly that we'll be delivered from the wrath to come. Then look at uh, Thessalonians 5, 9 as well. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. It can't be plainer. We are not destined for wrath. We will be exempted from this wrath that will be poured out uh, on planet Earth. And then if you look in Revelation 3.10, a promise is made to the church there in Revelation 3.10. Revelation 3.10 says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Very clear. Uh, not on, it's not that he will keep us from the 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 uh, the, the um, tasting the judgment, but notice he'll keep us from the what the very hour, which is a description of the tribulation period that will try the entire world. The church will escape that. And, and that's a promise to the church that uh, you will not go through that hour of temptation. And then notice in verse number 10, almost at the rapture, I will what? I will come. Verse 10 says. 11, verse 11. Verse 11 says, Behold, I come quickly. quickly. Yeah. Hold fast from that which thou hast. Yeah, so here I'm promising you that you're not going to go through the wrath because I'm coming. That's the rapture there, that he's coming quickly, and before the wrath is poured out, he's going to take his church. So the, the, the church will not suffer the same wrath that's coming upon the earth. Uh, God has promised that. So that's the third reason. And then the, the fourth reason, I believe, uh, in the uh, pre-tribulation rapture, uh, it's because of what I call the eminency of the return of Christ. The rapture in the Bible uh, is a time that believers look forward to. It's an event uh, that believers are to be looking forward to. And uh, because of this, um, there's no reference in the Bible that we're supposed to look for signs of the, of the, the rapture. Uh, there are signs that are given in relation to the second coming. Uh, it, 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 the book of um, Matthew chapter 24 tells you what signs will follow the second coming. That has nothing to do with the rapture, right? Uh, and because the rapture is not the same as the revelation or the second coming, the second coming has a lot of signs, and the Bible always lifts up to us that we should be looking and looking. It can happen in time. We don't know. You read the writings of Paul, for example, and you'll find that Paul makes reference again and again to the believer to be always alert because they don't know the day, they don't know the hour. Uh, would you look at some of these with me, please? First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. I'll look at it in just a minute, but we have a caller from sure. All Saints. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question quickly, please. Hello? Yes, sir, go ahead. Yeah, good evening to Pastor Murphy and to the whole listeners. Good evening, sir. I know you want to have a good time for the program for tonight, right? Uh-huh. And I've been a user caller. Pastor Murphy? Yes, sir. Pastor Murphy? Yes, sir, I'm listening. Okay, hear me clear, right? Yes, sir. Now, there are many of us who don't agree with you about um, the rapture, right? Correct. And some who agree with you, okay? Correct. But let me, let me tell you something, right? Pastor Murphy, you and other listeners, like, read um, Revelation chapter 6, verse 12, right? Uh-huh. I'm a messenger of the gospel, right? I'm not no apostle now or evangelist. 
Now, big fishes, right? Yeah. I'm just a person who got out the day and speak the truth, okay? Yeah. Now, Pastor do you know that nobody can preach that the gospel of Jesus Christ unless they have the Holy Ghost acceptably? Let me pick what I just said. Nobody can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ effectively uh-huh. unless they have the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh-huh. Now, if you read Revelation chapter 6, verse 4, Pastor Murphy and the listeners, right? Uh-huh. That is where the church is going to wrap to Pastor Murphy. Chapter Pastor what? Murphy, you and many, many other people believe that um, the church is not going to go to the Great Tribulation, right? Yeah. But if you read the same Matthew chapter 24, uh-huh. you would say, these are the... After the Great Tribulation, right? You uh-huh. see that these are the that came with the Great Tribulation called the Revelation in chapter 19, right? Yeah. Where um, the King of Kings will come. But let me explain something to Pastor Mary. Pastor Mary, let me say, you see the 144,000? Because I heard you explain it right sometimes, right? Yeah. And many of you people have it wrong. The 144,000 will be sealed in heaven after the church will rapture, right? The uh-huh. world again. Read Revelation chapter six, verse twelve. Uh-huh. And any preacher on this earth who don't believe that that's where the church is going to rapture, right? Uh-huh. Revelation chapter six, verse twelve. I'm going to interrupt you. Right. Okay. I'm going to interrupt you for just a minute to read Revelation chapter six. Rapture, right? yeah. The saints go up to heaven, right? Yeah. And the ceiling of the 144,000 takes place in heaven. Uh-huh. There's no way there's going to be no send back 144,000 on the earth to preach the gospel. Listen, after me finish, you can just comment. Uh, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and get other people to repent, right? Because there'll be another rapture. The rapture comes at Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. Okay, give me just a second. Let's read it. Let's read it. it. I'm going to read Revelation Uh chapter 6 and verse 12. It says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Jesus Christ comes in the clouds, right? Raptors the church. Take the church off the earth, and then the wrath of God fall down. What you all preachers are doing, right? You all are, con- hold on, you all are confusing the wrath of God with the great tribulation. The church must go to this religion, and then you have the wrath after. Yeah. And if you don't believe that, then you're not out in the God. And if people don't believe that, that's where you're going to go. You don't out in the God. That, that, it must happen that way. Yeah. It must. Okay. The church must go through the great tribulation and then the wrath of God. Yeah, okay. The seven years of Jacob's trouble, the three and a half years now, and you see the two prophets in Revelation 11, they're going to be on the earth in the, in the wrath of God. Uh-huh. But the church will not be on the earth in the wrath of God, but it must go through the tribulation. Have a good night. All right, thank you. We we appreciate you yeah, calling. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you're entitled to your opinion, but you're not entitled to the truth, okay? You don't have a corner in the truth. And uh, I think you need to do a little bit more study. Maybe I can recommend a few books to you to read. And I hope you're not so arrogant that you think you've got this thing pat down and you're not open to other people's opinion. I uh, believe what I believe. I believe I've got biblical grounds for it. Uh, I believe when you take all these different, um, these uh, six or seven things I mentioned, and you put them together, you get a picture of what we're talking about. The the rapture and the revelation are not the same. The rapture and the second coming are not the same. The rapture is a mystery that was only revealed in New Testament times. The second coming, which is the wrath of God, already predicted in the Old Testament. But don't confuse the two, because if you do, you'll always not be able to understand the book of Revelation. The 144,000 are not Christians that God is going to send back on planet Earth. The 144,000, the Bible makes it quite clear, are 144,000 Jews. Uh, 
12,000 from each tribe. Read the book of Revelations. And those are going to be the, the, the evangelists. When the church is raptured, God grafts Israel back into his program, and they're going to be the ones that will carry the glad tidings around the world, the kingdom of God, the Bible talks about. They're not Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, they're not SDA. They're not, they're not Baptists. There are 144,000 Jews from the 12 different tribes of Israel that the Bible talks about. Um, but it's a matter of uh, interpretation, and I think I'm not too sure where you're coming from. I'm not too sure what you hold to, uh, and I'm not too sure what your background is. But uh, you need to read some good books on Bible prophecy, and I think it will help to clarify a lot of these issues. And by the way, uh, if you say the church is going to, going to wrath, you're contradicting the Bible. Because those passages in Thessalonians tell us that the church is not appointed to wrath, that we are going to be exempt from divine wrath. That's a promise is given also in Revelation 3 to the church there, that you will not go through the hour that will test the whole world. That will be something you'll be exempted for. And that's what the hope is. How can there be hope? And we preach hope to people that those that are alive and those that are dead, we're looking forward to the Lord to return. Uh, but what that really means is that we're going to go through this period of wrath before he returns. How could that ever be hope for anybody who's alive to be taken out immediately? Uh, I'm not too sure how you can have hope in that regard. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We have five minutes left in the program. Make that four minutes left in the program tonight. The name of the program is That's Truth, live call-in program. We are discussing Bible prophecy, and specifically tonight, focused on the rapture. Pastor, did you have anything else you want to wrap up the program Yeah, with? I just wanted to, uh, to have looked at some of the verses of Scripture that talks yeah. about how the imminent return is, because if you read the book of uh, Matthew chapter 24 and read the other prophetic writings of the Old Testament, there are clear signs of what to expect uh, before the, the second coming. But there are no signs that would precede the rapture. That's my point, that the, the rapture is imminent. Um, look at uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, one verse, seven. verse 7 says, So that ye come behind in no gift, wanting for the waiting for the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so now that the believers are waiting, this is expectant waiting. That's what the word means. He's, he's expecting waiting for the, the Lord to be there. Not looking for signs, uh, but waiting for the Lord because the promise is He's coming back. He's coming back in a twinkle of an eye and we, are going, we will not all see, we will all be changed. Look at uh, uh, Corinthians 16, 22. Okay, Corinthians 16, 22. All right, that says... If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Maranatha. Uh, Maranatha means what? Maranatha means the Lord returns. See, so here is uh, here very clearly that Paul is emphasizing that the the Lord's return can be any time. In other words, this is this is the hope of the believer. Look at Philippians chapter three, verse twenty. Maranatha, the Lord is coming, sorry. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, we're looking for Him. We're not looking for signs. We're not looking for wonders. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Him to come because that's the promise, that's the hope of the believer, that the Lord is going to return for His own. And then look at Philippians 4, 5. That says, let your... 
Moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Again, that's the, that's the emphasis of Scripture. The Lord is near, the Lord is at hand. And uh, by the way, Paul wrote this believing that within his lifetime, and within the lifetime of these believers, the Lord is going to return. He really believed that it could occur any time, the imminent return of Christ. And he incentivized believers uh, uh, using the rapture so that believers would live a holy life. You know, if it's, it's like you, your mom going away and you're not too sure when she's going to come back. Uh, you tend to be lax if you knew she's coming back at 8 o'clock, but if you don't know she'll come back at 2 o'clock, yeah. you're always on your P's and the Q's, and that's why the rapture was designed as an incentive for holy living and uh, living under the consciousness of God's coming and His presence. Uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9 and 10 mm-hmm. for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we under we had unto you and how ye be turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Again, it's very, very, very clear. He has delivered us from the wrath to come. So we're waiting for him to come, this one who delivered us from the wrath to come. Uh, one of the, maybe look at Titus 2, 3, 2, 13, please. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great and of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for His return. You're looking for His coming. But uh, you're not looking for signs. You're not looking for wonders. Uh, these are things that the Bible says would precede uh, the second coming. The imminent return of Christ, uh, that He can return in the moment, is what incentivizes the believer. By the way, it's the only the premillennial view keeps this thing eminent. If I'm going to be raptured during the mid-tribulation, I got to know the tribulation coming. I know it's somewhere in between the seven years. I, ain't gonna, I know what's going to happen. If I'm going to um, uh, pre-wrath, I know that when the tribulation be- begins, I know I'm going to be in um, wrath for five and a half years. If I'm a post-trib, it means I go through the entire tribulation period. The biblical doctrine is that Christ saved us from wrath to come and that we're looking forward to His return. He's going to rapture us. We'll be changed. We'll be transformed. That's the biblical doctrine. Now, Pastor, let me just clarify here. If someone holds to the mid-trib or one of these other trib views, can they still be a born-again believer? Of course. It doesn't affect your salvation. I mean, this is a, this is a, a prophetic matter. This has to do with, it's not a soteriological matter. It's not dealing with the matter of salvation. So a person could have faith in Christ and have doubts about Bible prophecy and not be clear on it and still be a Christian. Thank you for joining us for tonight's program of That's Truth. Again, we will not be here the next two weeks, but we'll see you on January the 7th. God bless you. Have a Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. 
If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.